0: Welcome to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm Larry Landon. There are two candidates for mayor of Fishers in the 2019 Republican primary election. Logan Day is challenging the incumbent mayor, Scott Fadness. I spoke with Logan Day during the morning of Wednesday, April 3rd. I'm at the Ignite Space at the Fishers Library, the Hamilton East Library in downtown Fishers. Uh, the Ignite Space is on the lower level of the library. It was once Launch Fishers. Now it is uh, basically a dream for people who love to do artistic things. Uh, they actually have two different sections, if you like, artwork. One is the clean area, one's the messy area. If I were artistic, trust me, I'd be in the messy area. But uh, we do have uh, 3D printers here are available at the Ignite Space. I am recording this in the AV studio where video and audio productions are quite often recorded. If you would like a tour of the Ignite Space, come to the Fishers Library, the Hamilton East Library here in Fishers. And one of the librarians will be more than happy to give you a tour. My guest today is Logan Day. He is a candidate for mayor for the City of Fishers in the Republican primary this time around this spring. Uh, Election Day is May 7th, and uh, early voting will be starting later this month. Logan Day, welcome. Thank you. It's our first chance to have a a talk with you on a podcast, so welcome. Good to have you
1: here. Well, hey, it's good to be here. I appreciate the
0: time and the opportunity. Well, many people here in Fishers may already be familiar with you. You have been the face of, of, uh, of a particular issue, but there may be people here in town who are not familiar with you. So spend a minute or two and just talk about yourself.
1: Absolutely. So uh, I am a, a lifelong Hoosier, I was born and raised in Brownsburg on the west side of Indianapolis. Uh, I went to Ball State, studied business there, and then started a business that I ran for five years. We did laser cutting, laser engraving. Uh, expanded into promotional products, but I went on to sell that uh, my portion of that business and um, then went into executive management with an ambulance service, and now I do private consulting. Uh, The issue that you talked about locally uh, is the the Save the Nickel Plate issue, and I think that's certainly how many residents uh, came to know me around here. But uh, at this point, I've I've been speaking with a lot of residents at their door and and getting to um, really engage in some wonderful conversations. And uh, I'm very much a service-oriented person. I've always been involved in Uh, whether it be nonprofits or when I was at college or even before that, involved in organizations that uh, required community service and volunteering, and that's always been a part of who I am. So I love
0: the opportunity to serve. That's a good idea of what you've uh, been doing. So I know you were rather public on social media. You like to use videos. I see you like that's (laughs) one way you like to communicate on Facebook and other social media uh, platforms. But uh, you had uh, talked earlier about your consideration – for a candidacy to be uh, for mayor of Fishers so tell me what triggered your decision to make this run
1: sure well in my involvement so for the last Two and a half years really, is um, where i 've spent the bulk of my time invested not in just the fisher's community but even surrounding communities again regarding the the nickel plate issue and A lot of people uh, attribute me to being I, I hate to use this but the the train guy um, but really the the basis of what led me to this decision was seeing the underlying Um, methods and decision-making process that was used by local officials to kind of progress and move some of their projects and their developments that to me and a lot of residents doesn't reflect the type of uh, uh, elected leadership that we'd like to see. So um, that's the beautiful thing about living in America is having the opportunity to be able to do this. And uh, seeing that there was no one putting their foot in the door, um, you know, I was reaching out to through a lot of channels and networks to see if anyone else was considering it, and, and no one else was. And I thought, well, this, this is the opportunity to step up and do something I've never done before. And again, be a servant to the community.
0: You've listed a number of issues on your website, your Facebook uh, feed, so forth. I want to drill down on, on some of those issues that you have mentioned as, as those that are part of your campaign. Yes. Um, under infrastructure, and this goes back to the, 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 the nickel plate, uh, You propose a feasibility study containing current cost assessments – I think that's how you worded it – and potential alternatives to the Nickel Plate Rail-to-Trail project. However, keep in mind, first of all – and you're aware of this. You've been at some of the meetings. The money has now been included as part of the 2019 budget and uh, the – the trail is actually scheduled to begin construction this fall, although there are some appeals that were filed just the day before we record this. As uh-huh. the law stands right now, that that's how things are going to work. So I guess the question I would ask in relationship to that, if you were to become mayor, they, likely the, the trail would already be under construction. Mm-hmm. What would you be able to do at that point with this study? What, what, what use would that be to you?
1: Well, depending on the stage of construction, you know, and where they're at with the trail, I think that would still allow us to, to take a, a more long-term look at what some of the needs in our community and, and even the region will be. And I think that's one of the unique things about that corridor is that it is a regional corridor, not just a local corridor. Uh, so the connectivity that it offers uh, with Indianapolis, Fishers, Noblesville, and and communities north of that, even um, I think that a study like the one that I proposed would allow us to to even look at you know is there a point at which we can um, shift the direction and, and at least accommodate for the future of other you know other methods that could be used on this uh, on this uh, corridor to move people around. Uh, and provide alternatives to just the the pedestrian uh, and bike users that, that they've proposed on the corridor.
0: So what, I mean, are you talking about rail? Or are you talking about other uh, options that would be along that corridor in your view?
1: Yeah. Well, just this morning, I, I read an article, and uh, you'll have to forgive me. I forget the title of it, but it, it was about rail in America. And it was talking about what it would take to make that happen. And it compared us to Europe. And the interesting comparison was that in Europe, um, there's a lot of passenger with a little bit of freight. And in America, there's a lot of freight with a little bit of passenger. But the the government and public support of that is totally different in both places, too. It's mainly private here and public in Europe. But as, as I was digging into that, it was talking also about the efficiencies and the economies of scale that you can um, – you can gain through utilizing rail infrastructure and that it's one of the most economically eco-friendly types of ground transportation and even better than air transportation. So all of that said, my preference would be to allow an opportunity for that in the future for the rail. But the Indianapolis department of metropolitan development has looked at the bus rapid transit. I still think that's a better solution to accommodate for our future needs knowing that we're in a growing community uh, to make sure that we don't exclude the opportunity to serve some of our needs that are coming up in the future. I think while the trail, is it looks great, uh, they've presented some wonderful images or imagery and ideas, I think it's more short-term and short-sighted in nature. And, and the long-term needs would be best served by keeping an asset and adding upon it with a trail.
0: So to make sure I understand you're saying that even... I mean, and, and this, yeah, yeah, dig into it. Because I I just want to make sure I understand because if the trail's already under construction and that's the schedule now, and that's how the law stands at this moment. Mm-hmm. Things could change, but that's the way it is now. Uh, you still believe that you could conduct a study after that construction has started and change the configuration of that? Is that what I'm hearing you say?
1: I would like the first thing to do would be to assess um, whether that would be a smart use of taxpayer dollars, and that's going to just depend on where things stand. Uh, if I'm if I'm lucky to be able to serve as mayor, where are we at this project? You know, and ultimately, I don't like to admit it, but we might be at a point where it's this this is too far down uh, down the road. But all doors are open uh, as long as there's a, an element of reasonable. A um, reason, yeah, just reason and okay. common sense to it.
0: Okay. Um, you also, <laughs> in that infrastructure section, talk about roadway projects, and you list several um, several items there that you want to uh, pursue. Now, when I read that, and somebody who's covered Fisher's government town to city for about seven and a half years, yes. it just looks to me, and then you tell me if I'm wrong, that you're more or less proposing what's already going on. So uh, how would you approach an you know roadways streets you know, that's a big connectivity issue right now From most people. That's how we get around. Yes. How would you approach this uh, differently? <clears throat> Go ahead. How would you approach this differently than the current administration?
1: Well, as I'm out talking with residents, the, the biggest concern that I'm hearing is that the further you get away from downtown, the less some of the roadway situations are being handled within neighborhoods and on the major uh, thoroughfares, the the secondary and tertiary roads. Um, so let's take the um, the northeast side of Fisher so out in the, um, the the del Webb area I'm in Avalon so out there there's a concern about uh, the width of the roads there's still a lot of you know real narrow no shoulder two lane roads um, and some of those residents out there would like to see better access to amenities but also the infrastructure improved even before those amenities come into place so both on the Uh, On the Far East and the Far West side, there's a lot of need or desire expressed to see um, both better maintenance on what's there and a little bit more long-term planning to prepare for the traffic that's being created by the growing community.
0: Of course, funding that's a challenge, the way the state sets up everything. And the city did uh, enact... uh, um a wheel tax to mm-hmm. do more maintenance. Uh, did you support the wheel tax at the time that it was enacted?
1: Yeah. So um, at that time, I I was not actually uh, here to be able to support that in uh, in a substantial well, way. Well,
0: uh, looking back, would you yes. have, would you have supported?
1: It? Yeah. Um, so a lot of residents are are critical of that, uh, and I do mention it that that's one of three. Tax situations that have been added to, um, you know, to the I don't want to say taxpayer burden, but to, uh, to the cost of being a resident here. Um, I would say that if the funds are being allocated in the right way and the residents believe that when they have a concern, it's being addressed, then yes, I support that. But right now. There's a lack of communication, especially for those outlying areas, of where that funding is going and why some of the potholes in those further areas aren't being addressed and roadways aren't being expanded. But there's an education moment with them, too, as well, explaining um, you know, how some of the other funding and impact fees and things like that, that developments um, are, are required to, or well, that can be captured when a new development goes in, how that can be applied to a new project, but not an existing project. And how the wheel tax goes into funding existing projects and new projects. So it's it's an educational moment for myself uh, and the residents. But yeah, overall, I support it as long as
0: we can put it to good use. Yeah, just have them read LarryandFishers.com. Just had a story <laughs> recently on $1.3 million of the wheel tax going to specific neighborhood projects. So you can read it there. Sure. Uh, you have proposals to make local government transparent. That's been part of your campaign. Mm-hmm. Uh, but – I must be honest with you. Again, after covering this, this area for a long time, uh, there have been some very well-meaning and, and energetic efforts to try to get the public to get involved. Uh, sadly, when these meetings happen, I could probably count on one hand how many people actually show up for that event. Yeah. So my question to you is, if transparency is important to you, how would you do it differently?
1: That is a wonderful question. So I – there's a couple things that I believe would be a big part of my initiative and some of the first things I would want to interact. But I start off with this question because this helps frame my mindset on it. When candidates are out campaigning to try and earn a position as an elected official, earn the votes, they go out with a tenacity and a fervor to where – they're knocking on doors, talking with residents, engaging them, boots on the ground. And right now, this is my perspective, and many residents share this, and it's not just Fishers. It's a lot of elected officials. This is kind of what happens. There's a 180-degree switch where after that election happens, the policy becomes, or, or you get an answer from elected officials, well, the door's always open. Our meetings are always open. But what happened to that that constant outreach that we were engaged in when we tried to earn the votes. To me, as mayor, I would want a mayor advisories council that has a strength to it where we are reaching out and keep keeping a pulse on our neighborhoods on a daily basis. And whether that's just two or three individuals or even interns or high school students through the We the People program that want to volunteer in that way, where they're out Sometimes literally going door to door and saying, how are things in your neighborhood? And that's constantly being reported back. I think that's going to establish a heartbeat of this city that will help us to engage people and also inform them about how they can be involved. And it's not just to sit back and say, my door is always open, but I'm expecting you to come to me. It's we're at your door where you need us. And I think the council can be a big part of that, too.
0: Let me switch uh, to economic development, if I may. You, sure. Let me, your, this is a quote on your proposal. Review and modify our city's procurement and contracting processes to establish a level playing field. And I'll close the quote there. Yeah. What exactly do you mean by that?
1: So, again, I share this perspective with a number of residents and, and even business owners who – have a bit of concern if you look at the trend of those businesses which uh, tend to receive bids or receive uh, contracts through, through the RFP process the, with the city and compare that to, I mean, I'll be frank, campaign finance reports and look at it, is this truly a fair process where any private business that wants to bid on a project has a fair chance at winning that or are there – other inclinations to choose, uh, you know, certain uh, businesses, developers, whatever it is, to to be a part of some of those uh, the bigger development projects in the area. Uh, and like I said, that's not just my perspective. A, a lot of people think that that's a big concern, and that's something I want to address: is establish how do we arrive at these decisions, and how can we ensure that our our metrics allow for a fair selection process. Um, and again communication with with um, the various businesses in the area that would like to bid on some of our
0: projects. Well, explain. I think you touched on it, but explain in a little more detail what you mean by leveling the playing field. How is the playing field uneven now?
1: Again, it, the best I can describe it is um, looking at the trends of who receives the projects in comparison with who who... Which companies or individuals that are principals or owners in companies are funding elected officials' campaigns, and you see a a correlation there with a number of them. And all all I can say is it's a correlation. Whether it's a causal effect or not, I don't know. But I think that from the inside, it would be nice to have a perspective of, you know, how do we go through this? I'd like to understand the. and have good collaboration with the council to understand how are you arriving at these decisions? Is our scoring process fair? And how can we make sure everyone gets a chance to bid on our work? And, and that we get the best deal out of that.
0: You also mentioned in your, uh, on your website with your issues the BMV, the Bureau yes. of Motor Vehicles. <laughs> yes. I think you're, the word you used was you want know, to collaborate with, with state officials to get uh, a Bureau of Motor Vehicles branch back in Fishers. It closed many years ago. And I was here when that happened. Okay. Now, when a BMV branch closes, there's a requirement for a public hearing. Uh-huh. There was a public hearing. It was fairly well publicized. Nobody from the public came. And the only people that were there were two or three council members, uh, myself and another journalist – and so I got, a, I got a really great chance to talk to some very high <laughs> officials at the BMV because they had nobody else to talk to. Yeah. So I got a chance to get some background on that. So And plus the BMV, if you look at what they've been doing, they are moving people more online. They are actually cutting back on some of their, their – uh, cl- um, uh, Physical their, their, presence, their, yeah. Yeah, their The BMV, branch locations. The branch yeah. locations have not – they're trying to move people away from them. Now, I don't know how successful they've been, but they're clearly in that mode. So – Explain – how do you plan to collaborate and get that done with the fact that it didn't appear there was much interest at the time it closed, which surprised me to be honest with you, and the fact that the BMV itself doesn't seem to be in an expansion mode on its uh, – on, on developing more branches? That's a tough hill to climb. How do you plan to climb it, that? You
1: know, it, it is a tough hill. Um, but th- you know, the reason that that's on my platform, which goes back to the core of why I'm doing this, is is to include – what the residents want and what they ask for. And my vision is because that's exactly – I was surprised. The first committee meeting of my steering committee, we had nearly 30 people there. And we were thinking of ideas, and I already had kind of my platform laid out. And someone said, BMV, and the whole room said, yes, 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 That that is – I hear that from my neighbors. I hear that from everyone because we don't want to have to keep driving to Noblesville to get there. Um, so I know in, in an area where we're trying to develop this idea and this concept of walkability and accessibility through walkways and pathways, uh, basically a tighter-knit, closer community, though still many would have to drive to it. I know that they're expressing to me they want it. Now, the fact that there was a public hearing that wasn't attended, I, you know, I, I hate to see that, and I will consider it a failure on my part if, if I'm able to serve as mayor, that I cannot bring about a a method of engaging community residents to attend to attend our meetings well, and to have full rooms that can be engaged and informed about what's going on, what initiatives are being pursued, and how they can play a part in that.
0: I want to go back to the, the nickel plate issue. Mm-hmm. I, went, I want to go back to September of last year. Okay. At that time, there was a city council public hearing on the 2019 budget. Several citizens got up and spoke at that public hearing. Full disclosure, I couldn't make the meeting. I was out of town. It's rare that I miss one. I missed that one, unfortunately. Yes. Um, but there was a discussion about the nickel plate and then the budget provisions uh, that were in the budget uh, to fund and, and borrow the money to, for the bond issue that was going to go for some road projects and uh, the first phase of the nickel plate trail. And one of the people who spoke asked about a trail and rail combination. Why Why wasn't the city doing that? And the way public hearings work for people who have never been to one, you get up and you make your comments and the public officials come up and address the issues mm-hmm. that were, were brought up when the public spoke. Now, the mayor responded to that saying that city engineers concluded that the amount of property that uh, the city would need – Uh, to be taken away from private owners either by them selling it or eminent domain and the added cost is why the city and the engineers had had studied that and that's why that option was was pursued but i've listened to that video several times someone in the crowd yelled to the mayor you lie who said that
1: to be Frank, I, I I know exactly who you're talking about from the video, because I remember mm-hmm. that. I do not know that person's okay. name, that okay. individual's name. I don't know if I've even shaken their hand before, but okay. um, I, I heard that, and I know that there was another individual that was kind of disgusted by that, um, mm-hmm. I think, that I saw in the video. So, okay. you know, I, I don't support, to me, that's, that's not um,
0: civil discourse, but I, I understand their sentiment but i don't know who it was But you would you would not endorse doing something like that i mean it was somebody obviously maybe you didn't know the person but somehow no. was was uh, supporting your cause but you don't support that okay no i that i i appreciate that comment uh you also have a section in your um in your um on all the issues you have on your website on on mental and physical health yes uh again, the city has done quite a bit on that. So what would explain your views on how mental and physical health should be handled by the city in lieu of what the city has been doing? Yeah. So
1: I think their awareness initiative is wonderful and quite strong. Uh, And I'm going to tie this a little bit into also the disability awareness because I've attended a number of those events. I think awareness is step one of at least a three-step process. So raise awareness, provide access to information, and then, you know, create the action behind that. So while I think the awareness is pretty strong, what I'd like to see are some better connections um, to some of the resources and and trying to get past. It's one thing to talk about, you know, a stigma-free community, stigma-free society, um, but helping people to take those steps, helping them understand and cross those boundaries, because just talking about it, it it's it's the kindling that you put in the fire. Um, or, or rather, I'd say the the match that you strike, but you need to put kindling to get the rest of the fire going. And I think that that's the, what I would like to do on the mental and, and physical health is start – young. Start in, in the youth programs and figure out what are we doing to address the needs because I, I serve through Youth Mentoring Initiative and I've been a mentor of an elementary student for four or five years now and um, in, in a previous community before uh, here and it astonishes me the kind of pressures that our elementary students are under and seeing that you know there's thoughts of suicide and And kids that are still in elementary school, it's absolutely heartbreaking. And I want to make sure that starting as young as we can, we provide an atmosphere, not just talk, but an atmosphere and access to resources and, and pathways and guideways to where youth can understand and then the next generation can understand it's not only okay to talk about it, it's also okay to seek help. I have people that are close to me who once they broke that boundary, saw a whole new direction in their life. Um, and it kind of opened my eyes. And I think that, you know, looking at where we can provide counseling resources, not necessarily government funded, you know, I need to understand how that is funded already, but um, providing a, a pathway for people to get there uh, because mental health in a, in a society as stressed as we are, Is one of the biggest things that can help to create a holistic community.
0: No, my uh, my, da- my twin daughters are 25 now. Okay. But they went K through 12 through HSE schools, and I don't pretend to know what things are like now. I knew what it was like when they were in school, but sure. that's you know that's been years ago. And you have very young children. I don't think you have any children in school yet, do you?
1: No, one and three years old, and so both you, girls. You have a lot to look forward
0: to. Yes, I do. <laughs> As a father of two girls, I know you do. Yes, I do. <laughs> um, so, okay. Uh, let me ask about something that's fairly timely. Yes. Uh, the Indiana General Assembly has just passed a hate crimes bill. It yes. was passed yesterday. The governor says he will sign it. There's a lot of debate about how far that particular legislation went in providing protections for certain groups. And in that particular legislation, it doesn't specify age, gender, and gender identity. Those were the three Components that those and there are many people in Fishers, people like John McDonald, who's a local entrepreneur, John Wexler from mm-hmm. Launch Fishers, and established that in the IoT lab here, were very, uh, very, very uh, much a part of, of trying to get a strong law passed. I think the governor is saying it's better than nothing; it's the best we could do. But yeah. uh, he actually endeavored something much stronger than that. Yeah. Uh, some municipalities in Indiana have gone far further than that in passing more stringent laws dealing with protection for protected classes civilly and for hate crimes legislation. Uh, as mayor, would you, would you have any thoughts about pursuing this on the local level, any of those issues dealing with protection of certain classes uh, civilly and also uh, on the criminal side, the uh, bias crime or hate crimes bill and who should be included?
1: You know, that's an interesting question and you're the first to ask, um, but it, it's been on my mind. Um, I believe in three things that if this world I believe could get on board with, we could be in a much better place. Respect, dignity, and love. And if we can lead ourselves with those three values, I think people would find a way to get past their differences, um, and and we wouldn't even have the need for these these types of uh, legislation. But at a municipal level, you know, I think it's worth looking at, and I, I, I can't say at this point that I know enough about how we could enact that and and the total scope of support. But I start with community values, family values, and seeing how we can help foster that. And if local legislation is something that can help accomplish those goals, and we can through our city council determine what our residents think, and and. You know, I, I personally support it, but you know I'm not going to move forward with something that I don't know what the residents you know, feel about. And, and it's all going to be about what I said before, respect, dignity, and love. And I think that would make this uh, a much better place. And yeah, the, the, uh, the legislation on a local level would certainly be one way that we could look at trying to solve this and protect our community locally if from a state level we're not able to get there.
0: My last question is what I ask all candidates at the end of uh, one of these interviews. Yes. Uh, just imagine I'm I'm one of your constituents. I'm a potential voter in the Republican primary here in Fishers. Yeah. And uh, I tell you, well, Mr. Day, I've looked at you. I've looked at your opponent. Please tell me in just a minute or two why I should vote for you. What's your answer? Absolutely.
1: Well, Mr. Voter, I have had an opportunity to get to know this community fairly well. Not not as well as maybe you if you've been here for 20 years, but there is a dire need for some residents to feel that the value of their voice is heard uh, and, and also being pursued from the city government. We live in a wonderful community. We truly do. And I don't want to take that away from anyone that currently serves. But I think if we take the next step through electing leadership that's willing to as i mentioned before establish a heartbeat of this community through outreach we're going to be in a place where even if everyone doesn't agree with what's going on they can understand what's going on and feel like the level of communication you know presents a value to what you want to see here in Fishers and make this really your home and i want to be able to explain to you and every other resident and voter maybe why the decision I made wasn't the direction you wanted to go, but I took everyone's opinion and I considered it. So if you vote for me, Logan Day, I'm going to be able to bring your voice directly to City Hall and I will make every effort for four years that I'm here to include you, your neighbors, and anyone else in Fishers in every aspect of what we do as a city and make my vision
0: your vision, and your vision, mine. Logan Day is candidate for mayor, Republican primary here in 2019 in the City of Fishers. Logan Day, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. My thanks to Logan Day for taking the time to talk with me. Remember, Election Day is Tuesday, May 7th, and early voting begins later in the month of April. This is the Larry in Fishers podcast. My name is Larry Lannon. I write the Larry in local news blog from Fishers, Indiana, a suburban community located northeast of Indianapolis. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.